make sure that this works. So, good morning. Good to be together. I'm Alex. Go by Alex T today. And um, yeah, I'll let's open the word of prayer. Let's invite the Lord in. That really, He really needs to guide us, and really, He's the one who wants to equip us to to go where we need to go. And uh, I'll introduce myself a little bit of what we're going to do today. And uh, yeah, let's take it from there. Let's invite the Lord in. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for saving us for your amazing grace in which we stand. Lord, and as we trust you, you also promise that rivers of living water will flow out and through us, Father, as your Spirit is within us to those you send us amongst to serve. Lord, so so guide us, lead us, equip us, Lord, and may it really be uh, with a vision for your glory and for what you're doing among the nations and what you're doing among our neighbors, Lord, that, that, that we're here and that we want to be equipped, that we see not just look at skills, but really uh, let these skills be scaffolding for your spirit to move out to bless those you call us to serve, Lord, as well as grow ourselves, Father. There's many things we talk about today which can also grow ourselves, Father. We want to know you more and worship you and live lives of worship in all we do, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So I'm Alex. If you hear an accent, that's because I grew up in Europe, in Belgium and Holland. So if that confuses you, don't be confused anymore. That's the answer to that question. Um, Yeah, so we're going to talk about honor shame and a lot of different dynamics. And when I wrote this, I wrote this for a one-hour workshop. You can't hear you in the back there? It's the mic. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard, so nobody's hearing me, so I may have to stand still and not move around. Let's see if I can raise it for you. Yeah, no, that should be okay. Mm-hmm. Like this work. Is this better? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm Alex still. <laughs> that hasn't changed, and I still have an accent, so yeah. So yeah, so um, yeah, we'll be talking about honor shame dynamics, and we're and, um, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to live, to, 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 to work, minister in that context, how we build relationships, how, how, how do we lead the ministry, as well as um, talking really about suffering and a little bit from the, from the cultural, anthropological point of view, as well as theologically, how do we deal with suffering, as suffering is a major aspect that people see as a shame. And so... I'll tell you my background as, as we go through this a little bit. So I want to start with a story. Um, we started serving in Indonesia, in, in the Malay world. So I'm with an organization called OMF. We have a booth here if you want to find out more. And um, I was learning language and with a family, uh, with, with my wife and I we, and, and our language supervisor, we went visiting several homes. And one time we were in a home and we had a really great meal together, sitting on the floor, eating with your hands. Um, really enjoying. We're, we're just getting enough language so that we could have some conversation. It was a really good time and we were eating and so, and then the meal was over. So, okay. Uh, so, gathered the dishes. And so, I stood up. Let me help you with the dishes. Okay, so, which is something, yeah, which I do when I visit homes in America or in Europe as well. So, but, I was offending people. Okay. Dishes is, well, there's just gender issues there. Okay. Doing the dishes in the kitchen, that's for women in the back. Okay. Not for, for a man. And then, and then later on I found out, actually when you're suggesting that, you're actually saying that 
your dishes are dirty, I can do them better for you. So I was comp- what I meant as an act of love and sympathy and, and, and partnership and fellowship and, and having good, good host, be, be part of a good host, be, be a good guest, was completely taken the opposite way. Thankfully, I was sensitive enough to see people's eyes and, and feelings that, okay, I should not insist on going to the... Uh, going in the background, some people who are high D probably they would go back and insist and make even a greater uh, blunder out of that. So, but yeah, so what is good in the eyes of one is wrong in the eyes of, of the of the other, and because of different understanding of what's what's behind the different different messages are behind the deeds of what we do. So, um, and so and so so I was actually shaming the family indirectly without knowing it. I was shaming the family, indicating that. Uh, their dishes were were dirty, and 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 they didn't do, didn't do their dishes very well. While I was just wanted to honor them and, and and respect them and be grateful for for what the time they've given me. So, so yeah, so things go wrong, and and that really uh, took really got really clear to me when in 2004 we had the big tsunami happening in the northwestern part of Indonesia, Sumatra, Banda Aceh, and we had some teams on the ground in Banda Aceh right at the time where they were just living far enough uh, away from the flood lines, so they were fine. But then, uh, yeah, that team suddenly had the opportunity to serve in Banda Aceh, which is a very closed area, very proud to be Muslims. They call themselves the Veranda to Mecca, because they're the closest part of Indonesia to Mecca, and the ships used to leave from Indonesia uh, out of Banda Aceh to go to Mecca when the Hajj was, when they had to do the pilgrimage uh, by sea. So uh, they were very proud, and then suddenly... Why is, uh, why are we being punished, quote unquote, by Allah, uh, by with this great disaster? And then why are Western agencies, Western relief agencies, setting hospitals and clinics and doing the relief work? And why the quote unquote Christian nations here? And where are where are the Muslim countries? Why they're not helping us? So a lot of questions, a lot of tensions, um, and so they. They felt cared for, honored in one way by these nations helping us, but they were ashamed that our own people are not helping us. And why? And what, what's behind this? Those are some of the things we want to wrestle with a little bit today, uh, not just on the scale of a tsunami, but also on a practical level in relationships. Um, some of you may work with uh, refugees from honor-shame contexts and so on nearby. And so we'll, 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 I'll tell stories from uh, East and Southeast Asia, which is my stomping ground. But which is also a confluence of, of Christianity, of Buddhism, um, and many other things. So that's kind of the bias I come from when I tell the stories today and when I share today. Um, but I've noticed a lot of things are, are valid here as well, so uh, in our context as well. So, And so I want to start just with some of the basics. Okay, Those are some of where we're going to go towards, but I want to start with the basics today. So, so we can look at cultures in many, many different ways. And one way to divide up the cultures, cultures is looking at uh, seeing at them from an honor-shame perspective, which is going to be the main topic today, uh, and we'll talk a lot about what, what it is like today. We typically from the West are more functioning on a guilt-innocence culture, and it's typically traditionally from the West. Okay, it's 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 not just one or the other. We're often mixed as well. So, And then we have power-fear cultures, a lot of animist cultures where you need to control the environment, you need to and control the demons, you control the spirits, because they're behind everything which is happening. So that's that would be the power-fear culture. 
So, uh, and, and we are a mix of these. And these deal with, with different things. Guilt, innocence, yeah. Guilt and innocence, you know the words. You're either guilty or innocent. And you base things on, yeah, are people right or wrong? You're based on the facts, on, on how it is as it is. Or do you cover it up in some other way? So that's guilt, being guilty, or, or innocent. That's what guilt and innocence deals with. So it's more objective to, to the situation as it is outwardly. Power fear has to do with control and order. Am I in control over things? Uh, and do I use my power for that? Is it in control or is it, is it chaos? Is it out of order? And, then, and the fear that that causes in, in, a, in a person's life. And honor shame talks about the relationships with one another. Uh, do I belong to, to the people I, I, I relate with? I'm, I'm part of, to, to my family, to my group, to my clan, to my village, to my organization, the company I work for, my hospital. So, so they, deal with, they deal with different things and yet they're interrelated. Yeah? Um, there is, you see, there's, there's a link there to the culture test. You know, different questions. Questions like how, how in, in a primarily uh, honor-shame culture you would react differently to, to being... To, to being, for example, illness. Yeah. Um, what do you do? Do you go to the doctor and, and, and believe medicine? Do you believe the traditions in my culture, or do you go to the shaman to, to control the evil spirits behind it? Those are different worldview issues depending on is it guilt, innocence, honor, shame, or is it uh, a power, fear culture you're, you're dealing with? So, and the culture test, uh, you can take it yourself and see where you are at because we often we are a mixture of these. These overlap. You're not one or the other. Uh, cultures vary, uh, and you can take the test there, go to 50, 60 questions, if I recall, and see, yeah, how do you deal when when I'm lost on the when I'm lost uh, in a, in, a, in a town I don't know. What do you what do you trust? The map? Do you uh, do you just do tell? I mean, in Indonesia, when we get lost, pe- people tell you a story. But they don't know the, they don't know where you should go, but they just tell you a story because they don't want to lose face. Yeah, <laughs> they just tell you go there and there and there and somewhere over there. <laughs> And, uh, and power shame, yeah, you use you, you, you should call the spirit world to, to get guidance, to get to a place, things like that. So anyway, the honor shame, the, the culture test is, is, is a fun, quick test you can take in five or ten minutes or so and, and get a feel, okay, which areas in my life are dominated by power fear, which areas in my life are dominated by guilt innocence, which parts of my life are dominated by, uh, uh, by honor shame. And that will vary from people. And when you look at the world... People have tried to map it. There's a good website called honorshame.com. And, and they kind of, this is broad strokes. And you see most of the countries in the world are either blue, which is guilt innocence oriented, um, or, the, or the more reddish ones are the honor shame uh, ones. And there's only a few, like Suriname is one of the only countries which has majority power fear. And there's some islands north of Norway, uh, Jan Mayen and Svalbard Islands, which very small population, which apparently seems to be very, very power fear. I don't know much about that, um, but um, yeah, but but it's really mixture. I mean, when you look at the map like that, all of Russia to be um, honor shame is probably not correct. Yeah, there's going to be local people groups in Indonesia. You go from people group to people group, and and it will vary. So when we look at Eastern versus Western cultures, yeah, cultures are mixed. I said so. So Eastern cultures. Fear is part of it. There's a lot of animism still hanging out, even like Indonesia is a Muslim country, which is mainly driven by honor, shame, and we'll talk a little bit more about Muslim, Islam a little bit later. But it's definitely fear-guilt component, and there is definitely the, the fear component as well. 
Um, so, so, so we are mixtures, and depending on which area of our lives, yeah, we feel control over or not. Yeah, we power fear. He's here, here blaming is, is much more easier. So guilt, using guilt is much easier there versus honor, shame. So in Western culture, we are, we are more driven by guilt and guilt innocence. And that's probably the majority of us while we're living in the Western hemisphere at least. But uh, even there will vary. When you go to a Rohingya refugee or a Hmong refugee living in the U.S. or some, something like that, you will see different worldviews. Yeah? When you go to the Hmong markets in Minneapolis, you see all the paraphernalia to, to control the spirit world. Uh, so that would definitely be a, a, fear, a, a fear, power of fear, uh, yeah, power, uh, fear culture. Yeah, if you go to among Muslims, it's probably more majority shame, honor, shame. Um, typical Western Caucasian uh, background would be more guilt, innocence. Uh, but even there, things are shifting. You can make these graphs from generation to generation. I think the newer generation is a little bit more honor, shame, even in the West here. And I'll talk a little bit about more why this could be later on as well. So, so yeah, so so let's go focus on honor, shame. Jason Wu from the Honor Shame website there talks about it's the fear or the pain or the state of being devalued according to a number of standards you find important in relationships. Your own standards, how you relate to yourself. Are you confident about yourself or not? Do you feel ashamed about yourself? Or social standards, the community I'm part of, either my family or my village or my organization. And it can vary from uh, community to community. Um, and how you feel valued or devalued uh, according to sacred standards, towards, towards God or the gods or whatever you, you, your higher powers are you believe in. So, so shame is really seen about how, who, how you are seen, how you're seen by yourself, by the community or, or by God. Am I standing in shame before God or standing in shame before my family or for myself? While guilt is, is only focused on my deeds and are my deeds right or wrong? Before God, before my community, or before myself. So, so being versus doing is, is it may, may be a helpful way for you to continue to actually think about it and take this take this home later on as well. So, and the gospel deals with all of these areas. So, just to, to say that only one is better than the other, there there, there is no right answer to that. So, um, we're we're all a mixture of these, and depending on which areas we we commit to the Lord. Yeah, there we find the, the, the confidence, the power, his power. There we find his honor. There we find our innocence in that, or his righteousness, because we're no longer innocent. We have, we have been redeemed. We are righteous. Um, so, any questions so far? Okay, I'll let you. Okay, and I'll, I'll make the PowerPoint available later. It probably will be uploaded. So you don't have to take every picture either, but, or just ask me, <laughs> leave me a name. So, but but yeah, feel free to take pictures. So, um, yeah. So East versus West. I mean, from pure honor shame to, to to the cultures, it gets a little blurry over time. Yeah. So, but uh, when we look at the values in a Western, more guilt innocence culture versus the East, which is typically described as a more honor shame culture. Again, that's a little bit too stereotypical, and because we're talking about broad, broad lines, so we kind of need to 
go from person to person or from group to group to, to look at that. But in the West, we value equality versus hierarchy in the East. It's more important that, that you respect the status of the people you work with uh, in the East than, than in typical West where equality, we're all equal, which is based on uh, guilt, in, guilt innocence standards from, from scripture especially yeah we're all equal we're in, in Christ we're all equal we're all created in the image of God one that's what we value most typically if you grow up typically in the Western culture versus in the east where okay we need to respect my, the husband is more important than the wife and has a greater status and the, and then the village head has a greater status than the than, than the family head and, and and so on and it really varies from uh, from community to community. Same, and you see the other things, task-focused versus event-focused. I'm not going to go through each in detail, but we'll, we'll touch some of these later on as we go through. We value honesty more in the West versus harmony is the most important thing. Yeah, so using white lies and, and making sure that flattery is more important to keep the harmony is more better than honesty, saying you straight you in the face, you're wrong. Yeah, like the guy not wanting to tell you where the direction is. Yeah, he, wanted to see, he didn't want to lose face and... So, independence versus patronage. We'll talk about patronage a little bit. Efficiency versus hospitality. Being guilt-based versus shame-based. Yeah, that's, that's really what we're talking about today. So, yeah. I just want to talk a bit about the relationship between shame and guilt. Yeah. Shame, shame is about how you feel about who you are or how, how others feel, uh, make you feel about who you are in, in their context. Well, guilt is about what you've done. We talked about that, yeah? And are they equal? Is, is, is being shameful and guilt equal? Um, from a Western point of view, I'm talking from a Western point of view here, and, and we're in the medical field, most of us here, or related fields. Uh, we think scientifically, yeah? And, and science, and that's often what, what drives our view, which is most objective, yeah? And from our point of view, we would say guilt is more objective than shame because when you do something wrong, you know it personally, but it also gives shame. It, it, it should draw shame, yeah, unless you suppress it, yeah. So guilt will give you a reason for shame, if not in your own eyes, uh, at least before God or, or yourself. It should at least, unless we suppress it. So, so I made a bigger arrow that guilt drives you to shame than from shame will drive you to guilt because you can be shameful without having done anything wrong. You can be shamed because a misfortune happened to you because you got a disability. You didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you may feel guilty in front of the community. It makes you feel guilty. makes you feel shamed. So, so the terms kind of overlap a lot in what they mean. So, but uh, guilt is a more objective standard. And, and in the eyes of Christ, of course, we are all guilty. Uh, so, so that's why I drew a bigger error. So, so there's, an inter there's a lot of tension. And um, so there's things to wrestle with. I don't have all the answers to all the questions I'm, I'm questioning myself with here as well. So, but yeah, lots of things are, lots of tension we need to do so. Okay, let's go a little bit further with uh, shame factors. What, what causes somebody to be ashamed? Yeah, okay, I made a mistake. I'm wrong, I'm guilty, and guilt causes shame. Um, we know that feeling. Maybe a deliberate choice I made. I made something and it ended up being wrong. I've been pro this, but actually I should have been that. And later on I realized it's a missed, uh, it was a deliberate choice I made and it was wrong. It doesn't have the effect I wanted it to be. Uh, a disability, having lack of resources, poverty causes shame versus the rich. Yeah, and it really varies from context to context. A misfortune, a disaster, being attacked, having pain or suffering, or just being associated with somebody else. Like 
if in your family somebody is in prison, you're not going to talk about it. It gives, brings shame to your whole family. Even, even in our Western culture, we make that we have that feeling, yeah. Um, or in churches, we like to, sometimes in our churches we like to show off, yeah, and we we cover our shameful things. We we try to be perfect Christians, quote unquote, and we miss the gospel right there. So, yeah, and so that is being felt differently by yourself, yeah, if by your family, by your clan, by your village, by your larger community. By sp- or in the spiritual context, yeah, um, like in the Muslim world, yeah, when when Indone- when the U.S. attacked Iraq in Indonesia, uh, when the U.S. attacked Iraq in Indonesia, while we were in Indonesia, we had to hide in Indonesia, take low cover because we were associated with with the, with the Western world, and as there is, and, and we were a target for some extremists, so we had to go low cover, couldn't take public transportation anymore, even. We're not far away. We were living far away. Had nothing to do, nothing to do with the decision. But we were associated with what America was doing to sh- to shame Iraq or, or the Muslim world in that time. So, and sometimes, yeah. If I, if, I, if if I become a believer in the Muslim world, in a Muslim family, yeah, the whole family is being shamed, and the family tries to cover that shame by maybe by killing me or by. Um, by excommunicating me uh, and wants to hide it from the clan or the clan is being shamed by somebody some disaster and wants to hide it from the wider community and and the same the same happens on the level between the company and an individual um, a work a workplace things like that so so really so there's different spheres where the shame is being felt depending on the kind of offense kind of shame factor we are dealing with so and that's felt depending from issue to issue, from becoming a believer in a Muslim context, how you shame that, we'll talk a little bit about that later, versus to, um, yeah, any any other context. So there's this Arab Bedouin proverb I found. So I'm against my brothers because I and my brothers against my cousins, the next sphere. I, my brothers, and my cousins against the world. So, so depending on, on what factor, where there's shame, yeah, uh, and, and which which clan is affected by that shame? Is carrying that shame? Yeah, oh, we really separate us from there, and and we try to defend it and and try to restore that shame. We will talk about that a little bit as well. So, so for trust is given first to the closest rela- of relationships and diminishes with distance, and a trust has to do with relationships. So, and that's not. I'll talk a lot about a lot about Islam, but. Can, uh, even other Eastern cultures too, like Chinese culture and things like that, uh, focused by Confucianism. Yeah, the saving face part. Yeah, uh, it's 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 usually in a smaller community in 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 Asian typical Asian cultures, and I have to distinguish if it's Japanese or or, or Chinese or another culture, Korean or so. But um, Confucianism has kind of set these layers for you up. It's the the, the emperor king versus the the, the population. And in the population, the father has a different, or has a different ranking than the son, or the eldest son about towards the youngest, and the husband towards the wife, a friend versus another friend, and and the roles are being defined, yeah. And so and so so that has that that gives a lot of that kind of says the layers. Okay, this this person has a higher standard than another standard than somebody else has, and 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 the rules of how to relate to one another are really stipulated, and it's really part of the of the culture, and the, the communist government in China has t- has tried to 
uh, dispel that. To take, we need to get rid of this confusion in this way because in communism everybody's supposed to be equal. Yeah, but now we see that because it hasn't really worked to dispel it. Uh, I understand that now the communist government is using using this. You need to respect. Now the emperor is the communist party. You need to respect and and you see people again dealing with all kind of flattery towards the communist party and so to to keep that balance, keep that so-called harmony happening. So. So honor factors would be can be divided in, 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 two, in two categories, uh, which has been ascribed to you. You have, didn't have to do anything, but they're being ascribed because of your descent, your heritage. You are a descent of of a king or a sultan. Yeah, uh, in the people group I, we worked with, we had a royal caste and a slave caste. And the royal, royal caste actually was poorer than the slave caste because the royal caste said, I'm royal caste, I, I'm honored, I don't need to do anything, I have the status already. But the poor caste was poorer, at, but they worked harder and they in the end got, often got richer than, than those from the royal caste. So, um, the order of birth, the firstborn is more important than the secondborn. The gender, male versus female, depending if it's matrilineal or patrilineal. Um, the age, the older ones, the gray hair has more status than the, there we go, thank you. <laughs> the, the, gray, the, the gray-haired one has more status than, uh, than the younger one. So if you go to East Asia, we can use gray short-termers, gray-haired short-termers. They have much more influence than, than the young high schoolers you send, may send out on your short-term team. So, uh, so the, the, it has, it, it, you could use it for benefit. So you, it's being decided. You are the one who's supposed to be carried uh, the... You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of our community, and and, and the lots have cast, and you, it's been decided for you to do this. Or your religion is being a Muslim in a Muslim country is more important than being a Christian, and there's the whole persecution issue, which has to do with honor, shame, things like that. So, so these things are ascribed, and I don't think I don't say these lists are are comprehensive. There may be other factors as well, but there's ascribed honor factors versus achieved one. Yeah, you've done a heroic act. You are uh, you have uh, won an Olympic medal for our country or a province. Yeah, you've, you've won this championship. Yeah, you bring honor to the whole group. So because of performance, you've been assigned honor. Other, other works, yeah? And then, and then what comes from there? If you work hard, you make much more money. You're richer and richer means more status in many contexts. So. And again, these, these different uh, circles of honor being ascribed or achieved. So, and people fight for that honor. There's always a limited amount of honor in a, in a society. You can only you cannot give the same honor to everyone in this in a, in a population. Some will have need to have more than others. That's just the dynamics of a community. So people belittle each other, tell white lies uh, in order to make to, to cover up mistakes, uh, use aggression. If somebody suffers and I don't, yeah, I can defend my honor that way. Yeah. So and as a result, yeah. It paralyzes a lot of the, the growth and relationships. That's actually for for a later slide here, yeah. So and then, but then you come in as an outsider in that culture. How are you messing things up? How are you changing things? You're setting up a hospital. You're bringing a clinic into a community, or somebody from an honor shame culture comes into our guilt innocence uh, set up clinic or or university or or even a church, things like that. So a hint is. In Christ, in Christ, there is no ascribed honor. There's no achieved honor. The only honor we have is what Christ has imputed to us. 
Yeah, so um, the cross is really the, the great equalizer. The re it reduces all of us. Paul had all these things he could claim in Philippians uh, chapter 3 there. All these things he could claim and he said, I count them as rubbish. Yeah, um, because, yeah, the, the cross is the great reducer. We, we're all, all, all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Yeah, so and then and the only honor we have is in Christ and, and that's something we should remember as we go later on as well in this workshop. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we have the right to become children of God, born not of a blood, nor the will of the flesh, or the will of man, no decisions, no descent, yeah, no no effort, but we're born of God. And so that that's important uh, when we think about the church and about being fellow believers together. So when we talk, think about social structure, so one area we talked about is patron-client relationship. The relationship between those who have greater honor and, and status and their resources versus those who are poor and, and thus have a lower uh, honor status. So that's a mutual arrangement between a person that has authority, social status, wealth, or some other personal resource. That's the patron and the one who benefits from their support and influence. So that there's, there's an accountability towards each other. The patron has to care for those who are lower to him and, and make provision and help, things like that. And then the, the clients, as it's called here, are giving loyalty, give thanks, give allegiance, do, do the job, um, and, and give that honor to, uh, to the patron. And, that, and that, that affects relationships. So And then, and then when we come in, to a community that's based on a shame from outside, like we're suddenly changing a lot of those dynamics. We'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, so there's honor patronage versus bureaucracy, which we would value on the left there, the Western world, we value bureaucracy. There's relational expectations versus the rule of law. Yeah, so the law is, the law is kind of for consideration. A lot of honor shame cultures have, have copied the Western system with law and rules and things like that, but Relational expectation is really more important. Yeah. There is, on paper, there's uh, freedom of religion, but in practice, it's really, yeah, those have the right relationship with, the, with those in honor and, and their religion. So that's where often persecution stems from. Harmony versus integrity, mu uh, mutuality versus independence, connections versus ability, favoritism versus fairness, reciprocity versus charity, love, and, and we'll talk about this latter one as, later as well. So. So now when you come in, like I was teaching at a university and university, I think it was the, I was the first PhD teaching at that university on a remote island in Indonesia. And, and suddenly the university, okay, we got a PhD now and the other universities around don't have a PhD. So I was increasing their status. Yeah. At the same time, I was, I'm the PhD, but I'm, I, I just graduated 10 years earlier. I'm still younger. I come in public transportation. I don't have my own car. Um, uh, I have a higher degree than all the other professors, but the other, other professors are, are grayer and more experienced, and, and they have several other jobs. They make lots of money, or money, relatively speaking. Like, what do they do with me? Like, how do I relate to this? You cause a lot of tension, uh, even just by being an outsider coming from a different standard. And, and how, how does it... How, how do you relate to that? My, my students were, um, I was teaching engineering, that's my background, so I'm, I'm not directly in the medical field, but I worked with a lot of teams that did medical work. Uh, my students, um, they, they expect 
they, they have the honor of being students because many of their families have never gone to college before. So I paid my dues. They're kind of expecting to get to, to go to college and get a degree. To work for it is, is kind of is hard. Uh, and so I had to fail so much much more students because they want me to teach as, the, as in the West, but they can do it. So a lot of difficulties. I decided, let me do on the side of Bible study, see if people want to come to the Bible study. My whole class came for Bible study. <laughs> they were seeing it as a client-patron relationship. They were trying to honor and loyal me. Uh, but I didn't change their grade because they came to the Bible study. <laughs> the, the ones who were failing were still failing. So that didn't work out. So a lot of... A lot of mis- a lot of a lot of mistakes, a lot of tensions grow because we don't understand always those exact those, those established relationships. So they have traditional structures, and then when you come in, set up a university, or you set up a hospital, or a clinic in the community, or even setting up a church. Yeah, um, who's going to be elder? Not by not by age or status in, in society, but yeah, maturity. Paul describes the, the qualifications for elders and. Timothy and, and, to, and to Titus, yeah. So, um, so there's a lot. Of, you you, ha, you have to create a new. An, there's new honor rankings coming into place, yeah. And it depends from if if I go go there, yeah, and, and set up this clinic, or uh, I'll be teaching, or I'll be a doctor in a, in a hospital. There's a different dynamic than if if here if here somebody from an honor shame society comes to to my university or to my clinic or my hospital, yeah, they will have to adapt to us. Yeah, they will have to learn that okay, a young male doctor maybe have to serve an older person or an older a woman even. Yeah, they have to learn that when you go there, you need, you need to rethink that. How, how how do you do that over there? So who is adapting most and who should adapt? Those, those are the tensions you need to work with, and and think through. So so outsiders that have with no or different status. Yeah, when they come in, yeah, suddenly you set up a hospital. A young doctor has a higher status than the elder in town who becomes the the whatever the, the cleaner or whatever or, or, or helper. So you mess up status when when you do something when you bring a typical Western structure which we find efficient to do our service and which the government lets you have a visa for and things like that. So you you create a new honor competition. And you need to be really aware of that and think that through in your context. What, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, and, and who should be involved? Um, and, and respect the local, the, the, the local habits as much, the local traditions as much as you can. But or explain them at least. Yeah. We had friends. They're doing sports outreach uh, just outside the field beside the mosque, and it, and the whole community came playing sports. But then suddenly the imam says, No, stop. You can't do this anymore. This is our field. Yeah. So, so instead, they had to talk to the mosque leader and let the mosque leader be the one who is in charge of the sports program. Yeah, even just give him the honor title of doing that, and then honoring him when you have events on the sport fields and things like that. And then they let him back in. So, so, so you need to learn to respect um, those those dynamics in in a culture as much as you can. If not, you have to explain them at least. So, so explain those new relationships. Yeah. Uh, Servant, um, servant leadership is is contradiction. It's contradictory to them. Yeah, the leader should have the highest high status and can dictate what needs to happen. Yeah, so I need to uh, so to model servant leadership 
it gives a great opportunity to share why you're doing what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. Yeah, and you need to be, uh, yeah, no one involved the honor shame circle of the people involved. You're not just hiring just individuals of the job, but you're really inviting their whole, their whole, the whole sphere in which honor shame is important for them. Yeah, and you need to really uh, understand the, the repercussions of doing that. Like, if you're gonna have set up a new business or a new clinic, and so and you're gonna mandate, okay, we're gonna have a have have a devotional time before we start our workday together. Yeah, um, you may be you may be able to have you get individuals, but if the son reports to the father what's happening in his, uh, at your company, thinks that is your company going to still exist after a while? Yeah, and you think about the repercussions, uh, and that may vary from 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 where where, where ministry happens. So um, if if like your whole team depends on the visa of this of this one company, I know people have set up an English center in a, in a Muslim context. Yeah, and everybody has their visa through the English center. Yeah. And if, but if you're going to use your English center as, as the place to, to reach out to, um, and, if, and if one student complains that, hey, I, I was proselytized by these people, the whole team loses its platform and, and is lost and, and, and is gone and the ministry disappears. Yeah, so you, you may have to choose, may have to choose and, some, some, and groups have to choose that. Am I allowed to witness on my company or at the company or shall I do it outside only? And it depends on the size of your team, the size of people who come there. And some places, yeah, you have many people come through and only a few people and people have different visas. Uh, you may want to just, yeah, let's, let's use it. Let's use your company as well because there's much more involved and it's not just going to give an identity for, for all of us or a risk factor. So you need to choose these things. Uh, so, um, yeah. And, so, and if you have permission from the wider honor shame circles of the people who work at your place, if they're involved, if they agree with it, if you tell them beforehand, yeah, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire these young people or these people, and but ask permission from the village head or from the parents or from the, from the, the family leaders, if you ask that permission beforehand um, and they know what's going to happen. And we're also going to study the holy books uh, for five minutes every day just to be inspired, to be honest and to, to, to honor God in, in our deeds. Uh, if you have that permission from everyone, you, you, you put some guards against some of the persecution, which, which may happen if you just yeah, secretly tell the gospel to one person who comes to your company and, and then suddenly he, he, or she, he or she becomes a believer or, or, or reports you and, and the, all the, the backlash of things like that. So Yeah, and so we as foreigners, how we make decisions and how, do we, lead, how we lead is, is, is very critical. Yeah, uh, we from the West coming from a guilt, innocent culture, we are able to select and pick and choose what is good, and leave the rest. Yeah, um, a few weeks ago, uh, some teams, uh, I had some friends, they were going to the Philippines doing a training, uh, giving a training for uh, how, to, how to reach out to the Muslim population in in the Philippines, and. Uh, I know it's a really good training. That there's really a lot of good gems in there, and I presented it both to my Western field leaders who work with the, the, the expatriates there, and I presented it to the to the Filipinos, the the, the national workers who, who come from an honor shame background, and and I knew who was organizing it, and I said just if you have information, go to the organizer. So my Western uh, leader 
he said, okay, let's do it. And he invited all his team to come and, and recommend it. If you want to go to this training, it's a great training. Sign up, please, and do it. Uh, the leader of the Filipino work, um, he knew the guy who was organizing it, the host. He was not a presenter. He, was not a, he was, had nothing to do with the content, but he knew the host. And the host had messed up something earlier. And because he didn't like the host, he never recommended the whole training. He, so, so none of the Filipinos from his team attended that because he knew the host didn't have the integrity. It wasn't in harmony of the whole thing he wanted it to be. So, so we, we in the West, we, we know how to pick and choose what, what's good uh, when we go to, to, to things and, and, and choose. But, but, um, in the, but uh, the honor-shame people, they, they take the whole package. Um, another story is, uh, if you know, the, the coaching training by Keith Webb from Culture Re uh, Creative Resource Management, I think it's called. He used to work in Indonesia. And because of him being a foreigner, uh, having a degree, and the platform he had, he had status. And everything he said, people believed. And, but he didn't know the context. And he was realizing, actually, I'm sending people potentially to, to their death by in risky situations. And I, don't, I think this is how you should act. And, but they take me for my words. And so he had to learn not to be top-down, but from bottom-up. And that's one of the ways uh, how coaching came into, into his ministry. Let them use their resources. That's what coaching brings out. What are your resources? What is your situation? What can you do? And you come up with the conclusion instead of top-down dictating what people doesn't because he was putting people at risk uh, you go this and go into this village and go to that and share the gospel there and do things like that um, people will do it out of respect but it may not be the wisest thing especially and you as a outsider or as a newcomer you may not know always what is best and so have the right way of leading um, giving respect and and having that culture you made it do that um, have that uh, servant leadership so those are some of the things we really need to think about when we when we lead, when we set up a structure, when we set up a university, when we uh, and even even in church how we pick up church leaders leaders and things like that and what so so the background of people um, and we'll go a little bit further on that. So but any questions so far on this here? So one thing I need to repeat. Yeah, go ahead. You talked about the servant leadership model. Mm-hmm. Do you find or are you aware of situations where that actually is unhelpful um, in a mm -hmm. I mean, honor culture that they want you to be that more aggressive sort of leader because I, I, that's yeah. what they're used to? I, I know I've taken advantage of it because I mean, I came as an outsider. I sometimes got speaking invitations just because I had white skin. <laughs> and they didn't know what I stand for. But I know some people were sometimes liberal in theology or things like that. And I just, okay, you give me the platform. I, I use this as an advantage to let me correct some, or point out some correct, correct some ways, expecting not to be invited back, but at least have that, have that one-time influence to, hey, there's other ways, and hopefully instill a strong enough roots in Scripture that they can evaluate themselves and that the Holy Spirit can continue to, to convict or continue to lead. So, so there are examples that, that you can use it, that you can go against it, or, or that you use their misconception about leadership, and they invite you under that way, and and then take that, take advantage of that. I mean, my language helpers who are Christians tell me, yeah, yeah, take advantage of your degree. I mean, here I'm just Alex T, but there I had four or five different titles behind my name, or wherever I went. So, so yeah, so yeah, you can use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you incur shame on yourself, 
how, what are some ways that they try to absolve themselves of that shame? Is it just like trying to do the opposite of what they did, or are there other ways to well, absolve shame? It depends who knows about the shame already. So there's a different way. So, I mean, I can t just tell white lies. I can just lie. I never did it, even though I, all the fingers point to me and, 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 and defend that. And that happens a lot. Um, I, there's often, I mean, aggressions. Uh, aggression. So if, if you have higher honor um, than me and, and I did something wrong, I can try to kill you. <laughs> So he's no longer around. So I'm the only one left over to receive some some some, some honor, which is left over, um, openly or, or in a hidden way. So it's, there's there's, I mean, the real way is to go to the cross, of course, to the cross of Jesus. Of course, I will talk more much more about that in in a minute. But uh, yeah, people defend aggression is definitely the way. I mean, the, uh, I against my brothers, my brothers, and I against my cousins, and the rest against the rest of the world. So. Um, so you have the have the have these groups which fight against honor and, and try to defend it. Uh, sometimes run away. Uh, we'll talk about different ways of coping with shame in a little bit as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Is asking questions in a honor shame culture in a group setting not recommended? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. My students, when you ask in the West, you ask like I just did here. Any questions here? And I may not know the answer. To your questions, and that's okay. yeah, we're okay with that. I mean, that, that's the reality. Or I can fib something, but I try not to. Um, but uh, and yeah, when I ask questions to my students, nobody has a question because it can be a dumb question, or it shows that you don't understand it, and I don't want to show to the rest of the class that I don't understand it, while uh, you all pretend that you do understand it. So yeah, there's just a lot of hidden dynamics about it. So so. So yeah, that's why the teaching methods need to need to be adapt, adapt, adapted, and that's why a coaching way of looking at the resources people have and let them discover it themselves uh, to answer, find find the answers to their questions in community health and things like that. To to look at that together instead of just I'm here, I'm giving you my wisdom. Uh, are there any questions? And nobody wants to admit that they don't understand it, and and nothing happens. So yeah, that's very critical. Yeah, good. Yeah, one more question there. I was going to say, related to that, sometimes they'll ask questions that you might be offended by, which is the way that they process the grid mm -hmm. for how they attribute honor. Like, so if they're asking you how old you are, mm -hmm. not to be rude, but they have to figure out, even to the month of the day, if they're born the same year, of how to address you. Yeah. That's a really good question. Yeah, they were asked all kind of questions. What, what kind of, uh, how much money do you make? Uh, what do you use against getting pregnant and things like that? And all kind of upfront questions, which we hear are the last question in the trusted relationship you shared. Those are the first questions you get sometimes uh, in this context because people try to figure out what, who you are, what you are. Yes, thank you for adding that to it. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, one more question. Yeah. How do you choose how much to participate in an honor-shame dynamic when there are parts of it that are counter-gospel? Mm -hmm. How do you, at one point, respect the culture and assimilate in some level, but also say, no, there's a difference in a better way in the gospel? How do yeah. you do that without ostracizing yourself? Mm -hmm. And that really, that really de depends where you're at. Like, if you get an invitation to... 
I mean, it really depends on what, what we're talking about. Yeah? Do you, and, and, and it depends how you feel. Like some, some Christians go, go, go in the back of the mosque and they, they, they look what's happening. Uh, some other Christians say, oh, I can, I can pray even. I wouldn't go that far. But um, for example, when, when you go to birth ceremonies in Indonesia, there's often an occult, an occult component. Yeah? And, and if you know ahead what's going to happen, uh, you explain to the one who invites you what you can do and what you can do. And so, so try to be prepared, but you can't always be prepared. And then sometimes you have to say at the moment, okay, I'll be there, I witness it, but I will not. And then say at the point, I cannot participate because I'm still learning what, what this means and things like that. Or let me tell you why I don't do this afterwards. Um, but don't just be flats in the face, no, I object, and this is the gospel, blah, blah, blah. Um, then it's that culture sensitivity you need, need to build up over time, yeah. So it really depends on situation to situation, but once in a while there, there are those situations, yeah. Um, most of the time, if you know, do the culture study beforehand, you kind of know which areas there are. Are there going to be occult elements? Are there going to be elements of which people really think, okay, now you're merit-making too, and we're going to talk about this in the second part here in a minute. Uh, this is considered merit-making instead of really helping and, and things like that, so, yeah. Good. So, let's go a little bit now, a little bit more serving with compassion. Okay, that, that's really the main thing I want to talk about. It was kind of just setting the stage and context, and hopefully some of the stories help set a bit of context and things like that. Serving with compassion. Yeah. Uh, what we mean when I offer to clean the dishes versus what they see, what they understand it to be. Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, understanding a person or a culture and what they do and when we look at culture, and if you ever taken a, uh, an anthropology course or a perspectives course in missions, you have seen these circles about uh, what's done on the outs, what's done by people. Their behavior is based on what is good or what people think what's good or best, on people's values. And that is based on what we believe is true, our beliefs, what's true. And that is based on what is real, what is our worldview. Yeah? And we all act based on that. Yeah. But what we see in the outside, me wanting to do the dishes, is I do because I have a worldview from compassion and respecting people. We're all equal. We're helping one another. They, they saw from an honor-shame perspective, like, oh, you're shaming me. Don't do this. Yeah, so, so it was going from the wrong way. So when, so, so when we have two people from two different cultures side by side, yeah, an event, yeah, or, or something happening, yeah. We interpret it different based on our worldview. We can have the orange worldview versus the blue worldview. Yeah, if if I'm the orange worldview and they have the blue worldview, they they will interpret something different. Like yeah, when the tsunami happened in Indonesia, yeah, um, is it a punishment from God or is it just a natural disaster? And we have explanations for it. And, and yet under God's sovereignty, we, we trust there's a, there's a purpose of God in that. Um, but we don't necessarily see this as 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 a punishment from God as as Muslims would have seen that so so that we may have experienced the same event on the, in the world but an honor shame person will may interpret it differently than a guilt innocent person yeah or a power fear person may interpret it differently or i may do something like i step out to want to do the dishes uh that's a certain action i i come up with um, but they observe it observe it hey he wants to do dishes okay let's interpret that oh that's He's, he's, he's saying that our dishes are dirty. We don't, we don't clean our dishes very well. Yeah. Or I, I step out and I start a mobile clinic in a community. 
And I do this because I love people. I love Jesus. His love flows out to me to them. They see what I do and they interpret it from their point of view. And we'll look at some of their points of view in, in just in a second. So, so what is done by one is observed by the other in a different way with different motivations. Yeah. So there's worldview differences between people. So we're going to look a little bit at that, those worldview differences. Um, we're going to look at what do they see, how do they see us when we as Christians come into community um, or they move into our community, like an, an Afghan refugee moves in our community and, and, needs, and needs help. How do they see us? What do they think about us? Yeah. And what we do. I want to look at making sense of an event like a, like a tsunami or a disaster or or something else like that, or, or an action, yeah, our response to something and, and our action, like our response to the tsunami or to a disaster or, or to an urban poor situation I've worked with, and how they interpret, interpret our, our actions, so how our response is, how it is being interpreted. So. so we want to share Christ and we want them to discover Christ, just the action of love in itself, yeah, is an indication of that, but we really want to them to see have the change of worldview themselves. And sometimes we need to we need to adapt our worldview as well. So I hope that as I share today also it will also challenge to make sure that our own worldview has the right motivations as well. We'll come to that. Uh, we really want to change a person's worldview. I mean that that's the end of the gospel so that they really let that Christ reign in their hearts and that that will affect their their understanding, their their thinking and let their mind being renewed by the by the spirit. Because if if we only make people change their outward behavior, that's called syncretism. Yeah, we just make people do Christian things, but inwardly they they still don't. When it, when when when, it's, when when it gets too scary, so they still go to um, do their old things. So yeah. So when we came to Indonesia, we were overwhelmed by all the needs around us: physical needs, the urban poor, economic, health, environmental issues, educational um, needs. The disabled, being disabled, the people were hiding there. The disabled people in their houses, they don't come outside. And there's, you don't find um, wheelchair ramps in many of the cities. It's changing slowly. Uh, things like that, or for the blind, or things like that, they, they never came outside. Or mental health people, uh, ish, uh, patients, things like that, they were all hidden. Uh, the needs of drugs and addictions, street children, prostitution, domestic abuse, all kind of needs, and the list goes on. Uh, poverty, environmental issues, migration issues, transmigration, which is within country migration, or IDP, basically, or sometimes forced by the government in Indonesia, overpopulated Java, the people are sent to other islands because Java is too populated, that's called transmigration in Indonesia. There's trafficking, all kind of injustices, terrorism, and the list goes on, epidemics, pandemics, things like that, so... And that was always always a disaster in Indonesia. If it wasn't an earthquake, it was a volcano, volcano that exploded, or a tsunami, or a train accident, or a plane accidents. Uh, there was always something happening. Um, anyway, so lots of needs. And yeah, when we look at the Muslim world, this, this, the stats are, are changing all the time. But in the Muslim world, which is the honor shame society I'm best most familiar with, yeah, it says. Uh, Keith Swartley says that 60% of the world's poorest people are Muslim. So, so you, so you want to serve the poor. You need to, yeah. Muslims are definitely a major target. People in, uh, I'm not sure the church is responding. With 60% of their missionaries go to the Muslim world, to be honest. So, uh, but 75% of the world's refugees are Muslim. 
and that changes with where the crisis and things like that. But it still is is is, is in a bulk figure um, where most of the needs are. So lots of needs, and that of course that is an invitation to those physical needs and open door to their whole being to share the good news in all its fullness, as we call it in OMF, and including healthcare or creation care, environmental issues dealing with education. Um, so it's, 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 we think it's an open field, an, an, open, an open area. Okay, they have needs. They see they have needs. Let's go. Yeah, welcome the Christians. They will help us. Well, it is not that simple, is it? Yeah. And that, of course, happens in, in a global context where much more is happening. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, look, we'll spend about five or so minutes or so and look, we'll look on, the, on the Muslim worldview and, and why they think what we do and, what, and how they think so. There's much more happening. So um, Islam itself, within itself, is wrestling. What is the real face of Islam? Yeah, there's many different forms of Islam. In Indonesia, there's, there's some of the radicals, people, and there's some a lot of folk Islam, which is still a mixture of animism. I mean, Islam tells you the way to go to heaven by, by doing the five pillars. We talk a little about it later. Uh, but then day-to-day issues, how to get a relationship, how to get a girlfriend, how to be successful in business. The Quran doesn't give real guidelines, so for that... Many Muslims still go to animism. Go to, let's go to the shaman and ask him, let's put a spell on this person so he or she will fall in love with me or help me to get a good grade in my, paper, in my, in my school or things like that. So that's, that's kind of folk Islam dealing with or warding of evil and, and the evil eye and things like that. So that's folk Islam in all kind of forms. There's moderate Islam, secular Islam. Uh, but there's no Holy Spirit in Islam. Uh, there's there's no power, so people are struggling. What is it? And so it's going to be is it going to be our power? And so should we be radical? Should we be um, use violence? Should we use terrorism and things like that? So there's a lot of disunity in Islam itself. Yeah, the more fundamental ones usually see have a little bit more backup from their scriptures. What it is because historically that's how it started. Um, but internally there's a lot of well, a lot of a lot of things to wrestle with as a Muslim. And so you really need to talk. You cannot put Islam and Muslim all in the same path. And you need to really ask them their questions. A mosque leader I would approach very differently than, than, than the house helper we had who was Muslim. Yeah, um, there's many different ways. So, um, yeah, what's the real face of Islam? They wrestle with. In Indonesia, there's a lot of questions still. Of, is polygamy good or bad? Yeah, I mean, people feel it's wrong, but the Quran allows it and things like that. And uh, lots of issues with that. Um, and famous clerics suddenly take a second wife and suddenly they lose their popularity because they've taken a second wife and, well, it's okay, Quran, but it doesn't feel good amongst themselves. So uh, Islam is quite divided, especially in a diverse Muslim population like Indonesia. And Malaysia is much more homogenous. They're all Malay, Malay Muslims in Indonesia. There's, they're Malay Muslims, but they're from different people groups of different languages and, and they have different other things they, they compete attention and honor for. So... Globalization. Yeah, I mean, suddenly in, in the past, what the imam, your local imam says, your local Muslim leader says, that is the truth. And he interprets the Holy Scriptures for you, and you have to believe that. If you don't like the answer, yeah, you're shaming yourself, you're shaming your family, and you can't ask questions. Now, if I don't like the answer, well, let's see what what, what, what Google tells me or what, what, the, what the world tells me. So, uh, globalization is all there. So, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken tastes really good, even though it's made by those those uh, those Americans or whatever those I can't even think about the word those coffeeers. 
those unclean people, uh, things like that. So they're wrestling. So many more options are available to them. So, so the Muslim world is really seeking, like, is in the midst of a lot of factors that that confuse. Yeah, uh, internet pornography is as a great issue, even also among Muslims in Indonesia. At the same time, it's where they can find the Bible, and as many are secretly reading the scriptures. So lots of things happening. So, so worldviews clash. Yeah, especially when, when when things mix. Yeah, this was taken on the roof of my home in Jakarta. The neighbors had a school with a big mosque, and across the street was a church, which was a church from a people group in Sumatra, which was influenced by the Dutch. You see the style, the architecture there of the church, and they are maybe 50 yards so separated from each other by a big road, but the two don't meet. Yeah, because cultures are very different, even though. Sometimes geographically you may, and, and politically you may still have the freedom to, to be close together. The two don't meet. Yeah, in the in the mosque, uh, as you do at a home where you where you're being invited, you sit on the ground, you take your shoes off for your host. Uh, all the respect in the church, you keep your shoes on. You keep your shoes on for God, and you sit in pews, and you don't you, you don't even go sit on the ground to to honor, to to lift up God. Uh, the cultures don't don't. There's big culture clash, yeah, and just because of, yeah, worldview, traditions, and things like that, which, yeah, are dictated by how we have taken on um, respect and, and honor, shame, and, and guilt, innocence, and things like that, so, so when we reach out to them, yeah, they, all kind of misunderstandings happen, yeah, Christians facing jail for giving treats to children to Muslims, some, some old Indonesian uh, headlines here, Christians divide a lot to convert Muslims in tsunami aftermath, yeah, tsunami aid workers suspected of Christianizing. Um, Christian women arrested for attempting to con- convert Muslims by uh, things like that. There, there's a backlash, and we want to talk about why is it a backlash, and, and, and as is these worldview clash. So that's what we're going to spend the next half hour or so on. So, so it's a, a lot of things, conflict, and as a result, yeah, we're we're being looked down upon, and these are some Indonesian and, and some others things like let's. Beware of Christians doing all kind of stuff. Yeah, beware of the apostasy, the tricks of apostasy that Christians use, and we'll mention some of those. Yeah, um, don't celebrate Valentine's Day because it's a Christian holiday, quote unquote. Is it? It comes from the West, so it's supposed to be Christian, okay? So, um, so don't celebrate Valentine's Day. Yeah, stop all the apostasy, stop Christianization. It's um, in the bottom one. There's Siloam one is about. Uh, a a, a a banker, yeah, and and a Christian a Christian magnet. What do you call it? A rich person has set up a chain of hospitals, high quality hospitals. And if we get sick in Indonesia, it's one of the places where you want to be treated at. But he was going to, wanting to set up a hospital in one of the the main Muslim areas in Indonesia, and all the protests, yeah. Okay, then so there was a compromise made. Okay, let's make it. A, the Minangkabau International Hospital, instead of call it Siloam, because that's too much of a Christian name. Um, but I think, don't think the hospital is still there, because there's backlash. Even though they want the medical care quality, and if they could, could boast that they have it in their town, it would be great. But to have it done by Christians, those second-class followers of, of God, or whatever they are, uh, that they can't have. So this is wrestling with, with honor, shame, and, and the blaming, and the, the, the opposition, and, and, and persecution. Um, in some local communities, that's still the actual violence and, and burnings and, and killings sometimes, but often 
Indonesia it's often political and being be put, put, be put in uh, in jail under the name of your proselytizing things like that so so from a Muslim point of view how do Christians convert Muslims that's that's from several of their own blogs I, I, I quote so how do Christians convert Muslims okay there's nothing to do about repentance and preaching the gospel in this list okay how do they do it how do they make us change our religion their religion uh, yeah we educate children, the, the use of education. Christian schools are popular in Indonesia because they have good education. Uh, but Muslims don't send to, some want to send them, but they can't send them because honor, shame, and things like that. And because, yeah, the risk of children becoming Christians when you are in a Christian environment. Okay, healthcare and medicine was the second one on the list. Yeah, there are just tricks to get people to come to you so that they can change you, you from Islam to, 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 to become a Muslim. Yeah, or, or any other, other philanthropic activities, like giving out food, yeah, paying school fees, scholarships, and things like that. All these are are ways Christians use to to draw Muslims out of Islam. The use of media, books, publishing, internet, uh, media, and things like that. Okay, here is an, a, one, an interesting one: dating, pregnancy, and marriage. Because you should, you should, you should, you have to stay within your religion. So, but. If you can get someone from the opposite religion pregnant to save face, that person will have to come become your get to, into your religion because you can, you can only marry in the same in the same uh, in the same religion. So that that's how the government has stipulated in Indonesia at the moment. So um, I I have not I mean I've seen people have that pressure and then it has happened. Um, Often it's not real Christianity, what happens in this case, or Islam. Actually, I've had flyers in my hand, students hanging, handing out to, to the Muslim guys, date a Christian girl, get her pregnant, and, and so draw her, make her, make her, make her a Muslim. I've seen that, those, I had those flyers in my hands. Um, so, but, yeah, relationships, misuse of that. Um, drugs, drugs is a big problem, especially in inner cities. Um, but then the most successful rehabilitation programs are Christian. There have been some of the Christian programs, like Teen Challenge and things like that. So, um, so Muslims have used that. Okay, that's what Christians do. They, because drugs is a Western problem, kind of. Yeah, well, it is a Western problem for sure. But it's, uh, but it's blamed to come from the Western world, uh, and so it's it's actually a, a more uh, obscure uh, strategy from the church or from the Christian world. Uh, they first distributed drugs, get us addicted to drugs, and then they need rehabilitation. And that they do in the Christian camps and, and in the Christian rehabilitation centers. And so people become believers, or Christians. Christian and believers is made the same. Indonesia has problems with being Christian because you're born with your religion. There's a lot of nominal Christianity. So and it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, to differentiate between Christians and real believers in a country like that. So as it is here too often, but yeah. And then the casting of mist of spells or other mystic approaches to, okay, just like I cast a spell on somebody to fall in love with me, I can cast a spell on somebody to become a Christian, things like that. So, none of these reasons have to do anything with the gospel, yeah. But that's that's how they how they how that how they see look at us, uh, how they see a lot of things from a big picture, big stereotype, yeah. Uh, There's nothing to do with a personal relationship in which you share Christ and which people. Meet Christ in that relationship and, and in his power, and see that uh, has nothing to do with that. So, so when they look at us, when we are going out in medical care or 
development work or things like that. What are our motives to give help? Yeah, how do they see us? Well, they're, they're basically honor-making honor, honor responses. They see that they attribute honor-making uh, ways why we are doing what we're doing when we set up a clinic, when we do relief work and things like that. So what are some? You're there to make money, to, to be paid by a big organization. And money make, means wealth and status for you. So that's why you're here. You don't care, really care about us. But you make money this way. It's merit-making. Making merit is, is, is get, getting good points with God. Yeah? Uh, Islam is a merit-making religion. Your good works have to outdo your bad works. So you get, 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 get brownie points with God. And, and the good points will out, have to do, outdo the bad points. And you coming to us will give you lots of good points with God so, so that you will have your salvation. You can go to heaven later on. So that's merit-making, getting blessings from God that way. Yeah? You want to show off your superiority. A little bit a remnant of the colonial periods when people come on and impose and, and show of their super, superiority, gaining power, imposing culture and values to exploit. Um, yeah, people still, oh, are you working secretly working for the US government or things like the Western government, um, things like that? Or are you just there just to make converts, which is also making brownie points for your God? Um, and so all your development work is just a pretext. So this is some, some of the big pictures, some of the things we've seen in the news and things like that people grapple with. Uh, that, that's why you show compassion. That's why you do your clinics or teach English or teach at the university and things like that. That's the reason why. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has, has all to do with honor shame. Yeah, they, they, they think we, we're trying to gain our honor. So, five pillars of Islam. not going to go through these in detail, but... The Shahada, the declaration of faith, the prayers five times a day, the almsgiving. It's only one fortieth. It's cheaper to be a Muslim. You don't have to give a tenth. You have to give only give a fortieth. So, um, the fa holding the fasting months, the Ramadan, the pilgrimage to, to Mecca. Um, they're all achieving honor before God by doing these things and achieving merits, achieving brownie points. Yeah? And, and, and doing those things and then have everybody do it together that brings community, that brings uniformity that brings harmony so that that it's 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 all related to making honor honor before god honor with your with your self respect to the community and 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 there's an ability that there's a confidence in the flesh uh, about doing these things at least at first sight yeah it's always good to think why are muslim what is attractive to muslim i mean there's, there's sometimes people in the west who become muslim what's the security what do they find in in becoming Muslim, and it's good for us to wrestle with that, and uh, and and there's a lot of confidence in okay, I can I can do these things. It's hard sometimes, but uh, and the pressure and things like that, and and then we realize how imperfect we still are in doing it if we do it, try to do it perfectly. But uh, there's a lot of building confidence in the flesh and achieving that honor for myself and my community. I mean, people are, oh, my five-year-old kid is already f doing the fasting month completely. That's boasting. It's, it's it's honor and, and it's brownie points with God, um, things like that. So, yeah. But some main world, worldview differences, which which will shadow in the background of the next part we'll talk about when we talk about suffering here. Um, Islam in Islam, man is not created in the image of God. Man is made by God, and sin is not something uh, which comes from a total depravity, as we have a doctrine about the original sin and things like that. But sin is just a weakness. And knowing what to do, 
that will save you. That will get you out of sin. And that knowing how what to do has been revealed. And the, the latest rule of Revelation, the Quran, is tells you what to do. And those five um, pillars we just talked about are these things. And by doing that, you overcome sin. Yeah. Versus uh, sin being uh, the total depravity. We, we talked about the original sin and how that comes to us. And actually, maybe this is a good comment to make here is that Sometimes honor shame is more is helpful for us to understand our own doctrines. Uh, yeah, original sin is something something hard to get a grasp of. But shame, the shame we carry on from our parents and from our family, from our ancestors, that's much easier to understand, and how we need to be redeemed from the shame. So the gospel comes in there as well. Yeah, same with uh, patent-client relationship. Uh, we often think being a Christian, oh, I I just paid for my fire insurance from hell. I'm saved and now I live my own life. But if a patent client, there's an ongoing relationship, ongoing accountability. And lordship may be easier to understand as a patent client relationship from an honor shame perspective than just the pure guilt innocence. Oh, my debt is paid and now I can do whatever I want. No, so anyway, so there's so there's there's helpful things from honor shame, even in our own personal lives. So okay. God is distant, we can't get to know, which will result in some of the fatalism we talk about in Islam versus a God who is relational within ourselves, within himself as a trinity, and then made us in that image. And he wants to be intimately involved in our lives. Yeah, God's rule is an external rule by the Sharia law they're talking about, and everybody has to behave the same. That relates to the unity in community, the uniform. It's, it's outward behavior, which is really focused on by the law and, by, and, then the, and then in the community as it expresses following that law versus... The Holy Spirit living in our lives, God's rule from within, as we are being transformed by the cross through what Jesus did on the cross for us, and His Holy Spirit living within, and that, and that, that, that resulting in having unity with one another in spite of the diversity, or to the diversity which God has created and has given us through the different cultures and the different settings in which He places us. So there's some major worldview differences from which you start and from which we come as Christians as we go into an honor shame culture like, like Islam. So. So that relates, I mentioned, to fatalism. Yeah, if God's will, the Lord's will, and that was really clear when when we had disasters happening in Indonesia, like the tsunami, like it's God's will. We can't do anything. He's they're kind of the, the hyper Calvinists. Sorry, Muslims are kind of hyper Calvinists. Like it's God's will, and we can't do anything about it. We just we just submit to God. So yeah. So whatever happens is, is God's will and we can't do anything. We can't object. We can't talk to God about it because he's so distant. So it has a really fatalistic uh, attitude. So because we, Allah, there's, there's not a relationship with God as well. Allah's moral character is ultimately unknowable. Allah's ways are beyond all understanding. Muslims are not certain about God's ultimate attitude towards or will towards them, including forgiveness. They are not sure about it. They never have assurance of salvation because... Yeah, how is God counting my good deeds and things like that? There are different theories, different schools of thought on this. Uh, lots of things happen there. So, Allah's na- the names of Allah may include the most merciful and the most loving, but for practical reasons in, in their lives, He's really a judge and He's just a ruler, an absolute ruler, and He's not known in day-to-day affairs. That's why, for day-to-day affairs, there's still the shamans and things like that, where the where the Quran doesn't talk about it. Uh, yeah, they go to shamanism or they go to science or, or secularism for these things. So, but the thing we really want to touch is is suffering. Yeah, nothing more separates Christianity from Islam than their attitude towards suffering. 
For a Muslim, suffering is not part of God's will, but it's a weakness. Yeah. Islam denies the cross not from historical certainty, but out of a theological necessity. If God has his favorite prophets, and if Isa or Jesus is the second biggest prophet in there, God will not allow these prophets to suffer or to have any flaws or any mistakes. Like David is a prophet in Islam, but they won't talk about David and Bathsheba. That's shameful. That should not that should not have happened, or it hasn't happened. Similar with the cross. The cross is suffering. That's weakness. That's not power. That's not honor. So they have to deny the cross. And they have different different schools have different explanations of what happened uh, on Golgotha, uh, or if it ha- did happen at all. But uh, yeah, so. So, so suffering is, is being denied, and so is being seen as a shame. So any 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 where there's suffering is there there is shame, in in Islam, and that that really affects, especially when we go with healthcare or the community developments uh, or relief work, um, that affects how they taste, what what happens to them, what they see, what we are doing as we just saw earlier, and and then and and how they see it as we are explaining right now, a shame. And why, why are we being shamed and how do we get out of this? And especially when something big like a tsunami happens or another disaster, how can we redeem ourselves? Yeah, we talk about absolutely getting, trying to get out of shame. But when it's so big and you can't do anything about it, how do you deal with that from within your worldview? A helpful way I find to, to, to remember these theological opposites is by looking at uh, the history of the, or the, of the, the religions. Islam begins after when Muhammad flees uh, persecution. Islam, the history of Islam begins in, in the Muslim year starts when Muhammad flees Mecca from the suffering and persecution, the shame he feels uh, in Mecca from, from the people who don't accept him, including Jews and things like that, and he goes to, to Medina. That's called the Hijra. And in Medina, there he gets followers, there he builds military power, there he gets political power, and he used those as tools and later to conquer and to expand Islam and his followers and to get revenge in Mecca and sets up his base in Mecca then afterwards. Uh, so it's really based on strength and power and, and, and honor. Christianity is just the opposite. Christ, God incarnate, refusing the way of military and political power, I mean, are you now going to get rid of the Romans? They asked Jesus and things like that. No, he refuses that way. He chooses suffering and persecution in order to set a sin, in order to set a sin and shame suffering humanity free. Very, very opposite. So at the, at the root cause, the root of the worldviews, we deal with very opposite things. So, so Islam sets itself up from from that power setting. Yeah. So power, wealth, success, and even knowledge are signs of blessings, or of God, being on God's side. Yeah, when the Arab world discovered oil and started exploited and uh, 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 exported and things like that and made them rich, that was God's blessing. That's just, that was the, for them a feeling, okay, God is showing the world that Islam is it. Yeah, they suddenly had a lot of economic power and they suddenly had, had honor in the rest of the, this, in the circle of the whole world. They had honor, so. And then there's no right to change religion because Christianity is... Is earlier. Islam has the latest revelation. Um, 
you don't want to be second class, a second class follower of God. You want to be the first class, and that's the last, last revelation which Islam has given us. So a Muslim who renounces Islam has in Allah's judgment forfeited his right to live. He has committed high treason. And there's many other quotes from, from many people who say the same thing. Muslims say the same thing. So so becoming a Christian is going, going to something secondary, go something lower class, which doesn't have the highest honor in their mindsets. So... So from a Muslim point of view, also when you look at Christians, historically we have sinned against Muslims. Yeah, the Crusades are still held against us, the colonial periods are still held against us, that we have let Israel go back into their nation, uh, into, into Palestine. Uh, those are all things how we have shamed, Christianity has shamed. Because they see us as a whole group. When they think about Christians and think about you, they think about all of America, they think about the whole of the Western world, they think about... Hollywood is included in that. That's all Christian. So, so, and that all has shamed them in, in, in things historically like this, because I think it, from a group collectivistic honor shame perspective. So, and then of course we don't have the latest revelation I just mentioned. So, so yeah. So when they associate somebody with Christianity, there is that shame connection, that that unclean connection as well. So, so yeah. So, so what do you do when we bring help? When we bring help among their in their context. How do Muslims make sense of suffering of other good Muslims? They think they're good Muslims. Or, and how do they make sense of um, Westerners coming in? So we're looking again at disaster and suffering and compassion ministry. And for me, what really helped make, make sense of this is by combining this with something I learned from, from conflict resolution. Yeah, I'm going to quote something which I learned in a, in a Western church, but which really helped me to understand uh, honor shame. If you ever read Ken Sunday's book, The Peacemaker, Conflict Resolution, some really great tools on how to deal with conflict with one another. But it talks about different responses people have when there's conflict to one another. And I'm going to put them here. This. When you have conflict with one another, there's, there's different ways to try to solve it. You can kill. You can murder. Yeah? It's, I, I don't like you. I'm going to kill you. Yeah? You, you can sue them. Litigation, assault, accountability. Yeah? We start from, from the right and that scale. Yeah. Then there's arbitration, mediation, negotiation, reconciliation, peacemaking responses to a conflict. Or there, there are escape responses. Um, I'm, I'm going to run away from this. I deny that I did wrong or I'm flee or it's so bad I can't do anything about it. I kill myself. Suicide. Yeah. So it's, there's all kind of responses. And when you look at this, when you, when you look at this closer, yeah, you see the glad make right responses on the top. They're the peacemaking responses to let's let's fight back. I'm mad or I'm sad. I, f I flee. I, I fl flight or fight responses. So, but when you look at them, as I as I uh, put them there on the right here, we look at the, the right here. The, the right ones, the attack. Their their the attack responses are honor defending responses. <coughs> yeah. To murder, to legitimate, we mentioned aggression, yeah, or even white lies, yeah, as responses to 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 overcome the conflict I have. Uh, the bottom one, denial, flight, suicide, are shame responses, yeah, and that's not only in Muslim world, there's also other, uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, we talk about vendettas, yeah, taking revenge. We talk about harakiri in Japanese culture as a shame response, things like that. So there's different ways of doing that. So, while the peacemaking responses we need to, are coming from an attitude of, of, lo of love, 
yeah, which comes and, and where mediate, mediation comes in, yeah. So there's honor responses to a conflict, shame responses to a conflict, um, and and that's what honor shame cultures are good in. They they know these two, but the love responses, which is what should drive us to go to an area to where there is conflict, that to help negotiate, uh, to to bring relief, to bring compassion, all these responses. These are the middle ones, and, and they are not there. And and that's what I call the missing middle in an, in an honor-shame context. And and that's, of course, what, 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 what God did. Yeah, He himself brought in love by, by giving himself for us on the cross. That what love came in. And that love can reconcile, can, can bridge between, bring us from shame to honor. And so I'm calling it the missing middle in honor-shame cultures. Um, the love responses, which they don't have within their own system. I mean, there is love in, in Islamic culture. I mean, for you, for within your own group, yeah, hospitality, skin mothers love their children, things like that. But when it gets beyond that, and there's conflict, when there's issues, when there's disasters, yeah, that outside love, they don't interpret from within their own system. They interpret it from an honor or shame perspective. So, so when you when you don't have that, there's this is vacuum. And so when, when we fill in that vacuum, but they don't have the answers for that, they're, they're wrestling with that. So why do you do this? And we looked at some of the reasons why you do this. Okay, you do this for making honor, cover on your own shame. They don't see it from, there's something like selfless love, which flows out of, comes from the heart of God. And that's why we go into community. And that's why we help the community with medical work, or relief work, or other compassionate ministry. So, so when we try to bring wellness, and they can do bring wellness themselves, and we come in um, when they're suffering, yeah, they don't know what to do with this. So, and yet this love is what we want to bring, and that's what, what brings us to the community. So, so how do we serve effectively, or bring that effectively? And let's look at this from broad strokes, in broad strokes, in the next few moments here, because that's going to differ from situation and, and what disaster we're talking about. But so when we bring love. Or compassion. There's different ways how we can present the love of Christ. Yeah, we can. Sometimes it's a power encounter. Sometimes it's a revelation. Sometimes God is ready to work by a dream or a vision. Uh, it's a loving relationship or a truth encounter. Suddenly realizing the truth. But we're talking here about compassion ministries, and a lot of medical ministry is, yeah, medical ministry should be bringing that compassion of Christ. Yeah. So, so we bring that love encounter when we bring that compassion to them. Yeah. What do we do? Well, we bring restoration to people we bring healing we bring medical help we can we change the mortality rate we we yeah you know what you know what medical ministry is all about helping people so and in that yeah we want them to meet jesus we want to meet a person not just receiving a good deed but we really want them to meet a person and and in that restoration yeah they're receiving healing they're receiving honor yeah when you suddenly are healthy again okay my status in the eyes of others, yeah, I'm no longer a needy person. I can, I become more self-reliant. I can live again on my on my own. Um, yeah, you re- that brings honor. Honor is being received. Yeah, and so in that action, there is hopefully potentially an opening to hear the good news. They're willing to hear, and in that understanding the truth, the truth about God, the truth about Himself, the truth about sin, the truth about their shame, <coughs> and how the cross brings healing there. So, and from there, hopefully, they want to follow Jesus. And as they're being transformed by Jesus, they themselves love others. 
and, and are willing themselves to, to share that good news to others. So when they understand that love and receive that love and give their lives to, to our Lord. So, of course, a lot of things can go wrong there. We need to pray. We need to uh, wrestle uh, in prayer. We need to... We need to disciple, we need to help people understand, we need to understand how far we can go. Persecution can happen, a lot of things can happen in this uh, situation. So we need to be very wary about this as well, how we do this and what's happening there. So, so yeah, so a lot of things can happen there. So, um, yeah, so, so, so let's think about it. Think, think about it as we talked earlier about spheres of honor, shame. So, so you bring love, you set up your clinic, you bring, you are a relief worker after tsunami, um, you, you're a medical doctor, you are a nurse, a therapist, you, you teach English, you help in education, you give out food to those who are starving. Yeah, love, love being expressed, compassion being handed out this way, presented that way, people experiencing it. Yeah, and when you're experiencing this love, this witness help, okay, it restores. It honors, it heals. So, so that builds up, and as, and as you experience that, you're willing to accept it. Yeah, and we've seen that in some of the urban poor communities we've worked in. Yeah, the community, and as a whole, and there's an openness to the gospel in the whole community as a result of that, because they they're feeling cared for. People are taken care of, have taken care of them, and and they respond to that. But when you go, but in the next community, maybe you only have so much capacity. You can only set up a clinic there. You don't have capacity to set a clinic in, in the next community, uh, two miles away, things like that. If you look at the other community, yeah, they 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 see what you do in community one, but in community two where they live, they they see that you're reaching out in love to them and you're helping them. They get jealous, but they but they don't experience themselves. They are still suffering. They are still in their weakness. They are still, um, they observe it from afar, and they, they just see these Christians helping this community, community one, um, but they interpreted it from their, from their worldview. Okay, you're merit-making, you're Christianizing, you are shaming our larger, our larger brotherhood, whatever you call it, your larger ummah. So, so they're missing that love, they're missing experiencing it, and they're misunderstanding it, they're misinterpreting it, and so they feel... This is shameful to, to what we stand for as Muslims. So they feel shamed and they persecute. Yeah. So um, I've called this slide "Design Your Persecution." Yeah. Depending who who do you involve? Yeah. Who are you? Uh, there's a sphere where you work. That's where where the gospel can take place. But where you don't work, how are they observing you? What what are they seeing? Should you start slower and maybe maybe work in a in a larger community? Are you only going to reach just one family? Or you can reach the whole village. Yeah, if you share the gospel and the good news, or help just just the youngest kid in the family, yeah, and and then he's found out that he's he's being helped and has and has an openness about Christianity and starts asking questions about Islam. Yeah, his whole family is going to attack him and 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 attack you for for doing that. But if you from the beginning you can involve the whole family, if you know the youngster is interested, hey. Let's ask your parents if we have permission. Can I tell the whole story, the Bible story I want to tell, or whatever, to the whole family? Or can I help you give your in your in your in your needs? Is it educational or medical? Can I do this in context of your family and involve the whole family, the whole honor shame circle? So that's so it really has to do with which circle is receiving that that healing, that that receiving that compassion, 
and if you can make the wider you can make that, make that circle make that circle yeah the more people will have buy it and let you do what you do if you only do it on one person yeah the persecution will come much quicker and the opposition will come much quicker so so, yeah, so let's, let's look at a few things we we can learn from this as we bring this to an end here so okay just some general comments about love and and compassion yeah okay you can honor a king by just obeying his rules yeah you can be like this guy in the picture there the king just do what i do you can you can obey him yeah and 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 honor him that way and he feels good yeah everybody does what i want i'm kind of dictating what people does but the king is even more honored and glorified when his subjects love him yeah when 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 i love my boss and i honor him and i relate to him and i I'm joyful that he is my boss. That makes a much that that's a much greater honor for him than okay, yeah, I'm the boss and everybody does what, what I want him to do. So, so the invit and and the invitation is to give God the greatest honor in a relationship. We don't have to obey God fatalistically and and uh, and uh, yeah, just as a dictator, but we can have that relationship. So, a love is much more than just. Um, honor is more than just obeying. The greatest honor is in love. So, so that's something to, for them to show and bring in relationships. When they talk about honoring, things like that, ask them, do, do, we, do you love the one you honor? And especially, do we love God? Freely loving is much, a much greater honor than just obedience as an honor. So, so you can honor a king by just obeying his rules, but a king is even more honored and glorified when we love him. So, and that's what the relationship in which God invites us, of course. In Islam, God is the greatest. Allahu Akbar. You hear them. You hear Muslims scream it all the time, especially when there's protests and things like that, and try to defend the honor of the Quran and things like that. He has the highest honor in all things. Yeah, he's the greatest in all things. And that should incl inc include loving. Yeah, he's he's the most merciful, the most loving. We we saw earlier. Yeah, these verses in the Quran there. Yeah, but love is the when is love the greatest? Love is greatest when somebody gives his life for others. Yeah, but Islam denies that theologically. Islam has denied has denied that God gave Himself for us. Yeah, so in a careful way we can we can let them discover that the greatest love is when somebody gave his life for us. Hasn't God doesn't God love you the greatest? Or, or is God asking others to love more than He Himself has ever loved? So there, there's, there's a, it's a great apologetic tool, but it shouldn't be just being, just hammered down. But it's, it's a great way if you can point out people like, Christ loved me, God loved me so much, and He showed the greatest love, a love which I can't even give. I can maybe give my life for somebody, but He did it for all of us, for all humanity. He did it for you. I mean, then God really is the greatest lover. The only way God can be the greatest lover is by giving Himself. And then suddenly suffering, which was first seen as shame, now suffering becomes the, the platform, the scaffolding for which to show the greatest love. And this is, a, this is the way that you, you can show and help Muslims understand and honor shame people understand that, that suffering is how it can be part of God's plan and how it, how it can be part of the gospel and why it can be part of um, what, what we do. So God has demonstrated and has given us this greatest and most honored love in Christ. His death and resurrection. And this will also give you a bridge to ex start explaining the Trinity, one of the other um, barriers Muslims have a difficult 
um, thing understanding and we sometimes wrestle with as well. So, um, yeah, so God is the greatest also in love, and that means that he, had to, he gave himself for us. Otherwise, he's not the greatest. He would ask people or other beings to be, have a greater love than he himself has, and that's, that's contradictory to their own theology and to, to what the definition of God is. We ourselves need to understand what honor shame is, and and there's there's there's, there's several books on honor shame dynamics and things like that, talking about um, the honor shame in the gospel. The Bible is not a guilt innocence book only. Um, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of the first we like to use, but it's an honor shame based description. We've fallen short of the glory of God. There's a shame in in our fall before God, and how God redeemed us. Yeah. As the Westminster Confession talks, states, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's giving honor and enjoy Him forever. And we will do this through righteousness. We'll do this in confidence. Uh, by confidence, so the honor, shame, power, fear, fear comes in there as well. Um, but to, to lift Him up, to make Him high is the greatest. Yeah? And so, so, so even we Westerners, the, the gospel is, has all to do with honor, shame, as much as with guilt, innocence. So, how our sin offends God, how it dishonors God, how his created is tainted, how we're part of a shamed race, yeah, how shame before God and ourselves and amongst others, how we're tainted by that, and then how the cross is the gray is the solution, love, grace, all the love poured out into us. And then in the in the church being becoming part of a new community. Because honor shame really has to do with community and then the new community for people coming out of honor shame, especially when their family rejects them. The new community is the, is the church that become part of it, the new family, and how important it is in that community to really understand uh, what we are, what Christ has done. As we mentioned earlier, about we don't have a scribed honor, we don't have achieved honor. It's all because of what He has done, the grace in which we stand, and to realize that community. Of course, how you do this practically, and so that you're going to really have to wrestle and have, make that understanding and 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 tune in your discipleship to make to really communicate these things, especially for people who come from that uh, honor-shame background and come out of that and are being rejected by their own uh, community because they want to follow Jesus. The cross is the great reducer, and Jesus is the great equalizer for all of us, which makes us build us in a new community where he really has the only honor. So... It's good to self-evaluate as well. Whose honor do we really seek? When when we go out, when we do medical ministry, uh, it's easy to set your own organization, your own clinic uh, up front. Yeah, I really, I, we say our theology says we are not merit-making, but are we honor-seeking? Are we seeking honor for ourselves? What what are we really doing? Do we really know why we're doing what we're doing? Are we God's channels to restore his honor based on his already finished work? Or are we just trying to have some secret agendas on the side how great our organization is, how better we are from others and, and things like that? So maybe some of those reasons Muslims have, we, we may have to look at a deeper level. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I really wrestled with, I mean, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah, the, the great commandments. But the great commandment is the summary of those two the whole Old Testament law is based on. It's a summary of the Old Testament. Yeah. So my, my tentative statement is that the great commandments, love God, love your neighbor, is not Christian. I'm, Christ said it, and, and it's a standard, but it's actually pre-Christian because it was a, was a summary of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, 
the weakness of the Old Testament says that the law is the law is um, the law has weaknesses. It shows us what sin is. It shows us how unable we are, and just trying to love God and, and love our neighbor out of ourselves. Yeah, Paul talks in Galatians a whole chapter on 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 the weakness of the law. Romans also talks about the weakness of the law. If we try to do it ourselves, we need to be transformed by the cross to really live it out. So that it's Jesus in us. I love John chapter 15. Abide in me. Abide in me. When you abide in him, there's a love relationship. There's love God. And when you abide in him, there will be fruit bearing. That's a loving their neighbor. It's, it's only because of the cross that we can truly do this. The cross has to transform us. So. so we need to know what kind of Christian ministry we do. Are we doing it in our own strength to just show off what Christianity is supposed to be is? Demonstrating what we, our values are? Or is it really fruit bearing? Is it Christ in us who does it to us? So, so things to meditate on so, and, and, think of, and to evaluate ourselves. So that's more devotional, but it's, I, I find it very important because it's so easy to... Yeah, to show off myself and become my own God or show off my ministry or show off my organization um, as a secret agenda even under the name of loving my neighbor because I'm doing it because I'm a Christian. No, we need to know. So so ask yourself, do I serve from grace or do I really serve from honor? Is my compassion my doing or is it the fruit of abiding? Whose glory and honor am I really after? So search your heart, and, and how do you start your day when you, when you do your clinics, when you do your, your work, your relief work, whatever it is. And then there's something like comp- compassion fatigue. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Yeah? And can you recognize, will you trust God's sovereignty in the situation to where he sends you to show compassion and keep focused on the source, realizing it's his love, it's Christ in me. Like this morning's earlier um, session, we, we heard some of how the, what it looks like in her. In Sue's context, in the context this morning of the speaker, yeah. So, and the world calls a lot, a lot of things Christian, okay? But uh, and they, they they call Hollywood Christian. Some call Hollywood Christian. Some. What do you call Christian? And for me, it's always go back. Why did Jesus have to die for this? Did Jesus have to die for this? Do, or do and do I withhold parts of His love when when I share uh, Him? So, uh, because that something. For us as believers, what makes something Christian, yeah, it has to go back to the cross and why, how he redeemed us out of all these selfish motives which can be behind everything. So so that's something I like to ask for anything we call Christian in politics or whatever. Did Christ have to die for this? So to resist all pressure to compartmentalize the loving God from loving our neighbor, the secular and the sacred. So the commitment to social change will inevitably at some point come into conflict with the desire to see men and women become disciples of Jesus. The only way forward in this dilemma is to resist all pressure to compartmentalize our lives and pursue our calling in a holistic way. So, And then the other point we already mentioned was reaching communities and networks. Don't just extract the one person you want to serve, but really include their all honors circle. Yeah. Seeking the honor of the community by outreach, permission and ownership from local leaders. Um, I took this from um, when Helping Hurts talking about uh, the, honoring the whole community and empowering them. The asset-based community development in Helping Hurts is a really way to to honor the whole society by instead of top-down telling as an outsider what to do, but really uh, in a coaching coaching the whole community. Basically, this is ABCD asset-based community development, and if you, you can look more up that into helping helping without hurting things like that and then do it of course in a, in a culture in honoring the culture 
honoring the culture, being incarnational and contextual. So, and then discern where the opposition comes from, those who are outside your circle, but you have relationship in that honor-shame circle. Because others will interpret, misinterpret what you're doing. Uh, so include people's honor-shame circles, uh, circles, and then avoid extraction, of course. So, so those are some of the main points uh, I want to leave with you. Um, I just, just on a kind of postscript real quick. So love being the missing middle in honor-shame cultures. Yeah, and um, but I, I see love is also the missing middle in in the other cultures, innocent and guilt. It's grace and truth. On we, we can so be so this, this this is right and this is wrong. We, we can be so heartless without love. So love also needs to be between grace and truth. Needs to be in the missing is, is often the missing middle in our in our culture as well. And same with power and fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, uh, love is the missing middle also in the in, in the other in the other extremes when we, when we take love out yeah we we have these tensions and and I see in our culture even when when we become less Christian and are less 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 in touch with the base we see we see uh, that, that the love of many is growing cold cold and you see that in our culture uh, ourselves too we start we starting we we guilt on guilt innocent cultures here and majority but when we don't like a politician or somebody has we start to shame them. All our, our our memes and things, even our so-called Christian memes, are we're shaming the political party or the movie star we don't like. High schoolers, when when love grows cold, they they, they show off one another, and and there's there's competition. There's a lot of coldness, um, and and as a result, more honor shame dynamics happening in our own society as as we go away from the cross and and from the source of love, which really keeps maintains us. So. Um, love is really the missing middle of, of all of these and, and the cross is needed for, for all of us in each and every culture so so that's kind of a little postscript uh, it's not just only honor shame culture we really dug into deep today so just as, as, a, as a bigger picture of things to reflect so, so, so what are some of your takeaways And so these are the five, the five last points I was sharing about the greatest honor is received when being most loved the greatest love is when somebody gave himself and Christ is that greatest love as God is the greatest in loving, the gospel that restores God's honor and our honor. It's not just honor, it's honor, shame as well as guilt and righteousness. Um, to give God's love, let's make sure that we realize um, where the source of love is. Let's not compartmentalize and then reach the whole community, the focus on communities, the collect, collection of people we, we want to reach out to. So, Okay, lots of things you probably have on your mind. Um, we have about 15 minutes or so if you want to have some questions now together as a group, feel free to. Otherwise, if you want to go earlier, you feel free to. Um, I, I take some questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for this. Uh, I had experience yeah. in Somalia. And we went to Somalia as missionaries. We wanted to reach out to Somalis. If you go, please leave your evaluations in, one, in the red box in the front, please. In case you go early, okay. Yeah, Sorry. and then uh, uh, we we felt the Lord had answered our prayer mm. for Somaliland or Somalia to open for us to go there. Mm -hmm. So there was a prayer among them that the Lord will send them people to help them. Mm -hmm. So now the dilemma was whose God has answered? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the one who sent us there or the one who they prayed the someone? Because so, they, their faith then was strengthened because yeah. their, Allah has answered their prayer. Mm -hmm. For us, we 
thought the Lord has answered to open a way. So that was really a problem. Right. How do we, because of depending on the on mm-hmm. their worldview, yeah. Yeah. so how do we really address this worldview mm-hmm. things? I think by, by staying there and showing what the true source of love is and persevere and suffer with it in the community. I don't think there's a... There may be an apologetic answer which tries to answer that from a make-sense point of view, but I think the real will be you are there and you're showing a love which they have never experienced and, and you persevere, you you share in their suffering, you, you count the cost for being there and, and you go through that and over time... Yeah, let God's grace flow to you that way because it's not going to be an instant. No, you can't say, oh, they say, oh, hallelujah. Yeah, praise, praise God. They don't want to say hallelujah. <laughs> but uh, you say, oh, great, you're the answer to our prayers. Allah is great. They may say that, but over time, I think you will prove that, you know, the, the, what I'm sharing, that that's, and let God improve himself in the situation through that. So go ahead. Prosperity gospel is one of the ways to to look for honor. Yeah, you, I'm prosperous because God has given me honor and, and things like that. So that's that's true in the church. And that's where discipleship is really. And, and how do you do that in your context? I'm not fully sure what, but that's where discipleship and going to the Christian to, to, to the scriptures is going to be. You, you have the advantage at least that people trust the scriptures and believe the scriptures, and uh, and so they they will want to. Um, and, and go to, go from there. So yeah, I don't have experience in doing that myself. I, I know in Indonesia there's some of the traditional churches. I mean, if you, I couldn't become a doctor or a lawyer, I was not smart enough. But now I'm a pastor and I have my own little kingdom now. I, I rule as a church, and that attitude that that, that lingers. And so, yeah, a, a good understanding of the theology of suffering, uh, disciples of the scripture. I can't read that, but uh, <laughs> we're running out of time soon, huh? Yeah, yeah, I know that. Thanks. My watch is here. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, go. So, I think one thing that's interesting to me about this, and I really appreciated the way you presented it with all of the different dynamics and how we all individually do experience the honor-shame dynamic mm-hmm. in ourselves. It's not sort of like guilt, innocence, or Against one another. That we all kind of because I think sometimes it can be very easy to say, well, I think about it from this guilt-innocence culture, and I see issues with the way that mm-hmm. honor-shame is bad in some way. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, let me come and show you how I think about the world. 
Um, and I don't think we do it on purpose, but it can mm -hmm. be very easy to sort of see the ways that that is foreign and the mm -hmm. ways that it is not in line with scripture and to not see the ways that we, that the way that we understand the world is also not in line with scripture. Um, and so I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts. I appreciate that you shared some of these things, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts of like ways that honor shame maybe sees the, the, the honor shame version of the world, if you will, maybe sees the, sees the world in a more true fashion to the way that um, that is like the true world view. I mentioned already how it helps us understand the or, original sin and, and the lordship of Christ. There are just advantages of it. I think the whole issue of the unity of the church, I think, would be would help the honor shame uh, f angle of looking at things of the scriptures would really be helpful in that. How we dishonor Christ and, and things like that. So I think that would be an area we can definitely grow in and understand. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think just just ourself, ourself as Christianity, we were, our discipleship is so focused on on being on 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 how I am a good Christian and versus the rest. Kind of it becomes a, it's we're way too individualistic. So the whole honor shame uh, area would definitely help us in that. And there's probably many 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 other areas as well where we can we can grow in. Um, but yeah, just our selfishness, our self idolatry, our, our hidden pride, even in ministry. Uh, when when I look at, I mean, I steal God's glory by being selfish and, and even using ministry as 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 a as 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 a cover up for that. I can pretend I'm a really great Christian, but no, I need grace. And, and and so just going back to the theology of the church and what we really are and what the cross really has done for us, really being the great equalizer. Uh, and there, there's a lot of discipleship we can do in that area. Maybe if other areas grow. I'm also growing this area as well, so please let me know if you see other aspects. You had a question there. Um, I just want to say, I think that the gospel is going to be the most Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Really, this was really broad strokes. You're going to really have to contextualize some of these principles. Hopefully, there were some principles in there, some takeaways, and look in your context how you need to look at those things. So, let me close in prayer and let me send you off. Lord, just thank you for assigning each of us uh, a part uh, in joining you in what you're doing among the nations nearby, far away. Lord, we probably have nations on our hearts, we put on our hearts. You probably have people on our hearts which live right in our own towns or in our own uh, clinics or whatever you put us to work, Father, who, who need you from a very different world if you Father, and just, Lord, just um, and help us ourselves, Father, to really grasp 
how great the depth of your love is, Father. Let us not never be satisfied with just what we what we know, Father, but really experience uh, more of the, of the great salvation in which we stand, Lord, and may that flow out of us, Father. So thank you for each of us here, and may we go forth and uh, encouraged, Father, and the many other things you have for us during this conference, Lord. May we be good stewards of this, Lord, and then and then yeah, may this bear fruit in our lives for your honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks, everyone.